You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Turn in your copy of God's Word then to John 1, 19 through uh, 34. That's where we're going to pick up in this, uh, in this study that we actually began, uh, uh, incidentally, be before Christmas or right at Christmas as we looked at John's Gospel to lead our Christmas worship. But we're just going to keep on going. It's a new year, new series. And so uh, I would encourage you to keep a bookmark uh, in John as we are just working our way through uh, verse by verse, story by story, through this account of Jesus life. Now, John, the beloved disciple, not John the Baptist, who we'll meet here in a bit, John the disciple who wrote this uh, account is really unique in his writing style here. He, he writes with a singular purpose. Uh, he writes so that all who read this gospel, all who read these stories and engage their implications would believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life in his name. He says that at the end of his, his gospel in, in uh, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And he, he wants us, every time we engage this gospel, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That as we come to him, we would believe. Thus the series title, Come and Believe. And so in every account that we will uh, come to here, I- embedded in it is a truth about Jesus for us to believe. And it has implications then for us to live by not just mere head knowledge about Jesus, but life transforming truths for us to live in light of. And so every Sunday as we come to God's word, you can just very simply ask these, what truth is it that I'm supposed to believe about Jesus? And then what does that mean for my life and how I am to live very, very simply? And such is the case even uh, today in these opening lines of John. And our introduction then to John the, the Baptist, that up at this, until this point here, Jesus has really burst onto the scene in a, in a profoundly inconspicuous way. Being born as a baby, coming in through the virgin birth and all the things that we celebrate at Christmas. But now, as Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, God has sent a messenger to announce his arrival. And this is uh, very similar to what we experience today when we like go to a basketball game, for example. Uh, you know, if you were to go to an NBA game, someone would announce the starters for each team, right? All the lights and theatrics uh, uh, accompany it. But somebody would come on the, uh, the PA system and, you know, give all the, the physical details. Standing at 6'11", 270 pounds, the Greek freak, Giannis. Anybody can pronounce his last name? Atentokounmpo plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. But if you were to go to a conference, let's say, with speakers, somebody would typically introduce the speaker, giving their bio about who they are and what they've achieved throughout their career or ministry, depending upon the conference. And so too in biblical times, when a king or a royal official would uh, make a visit to a town or a region, he would send a messenger ahead so that preparations could be made at the announcement of his revival, or arrival, rather, whether roads needed to be prepared or things uh, uh, cleaned up around town to prepare for him. In much the same way, John the Baptist, who we see today, is this kind of messenger for Christ, declaring for us who he is, 
and how then we should live in light of who Jesus is. And so join me in your Bibles. Let me just read the account today, this narrative for us, John 1. I'm going to begin in verse 19, and uh, it'll end there in verse 34. Just listen and follow along as I read it. It says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, nope. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is God's word for God's people. Our text here, as we've just read and engaged with, takes place over two days and in two different scenes, as you likely noted there. The first scene at the, uh, you know, the barrage of questions from those sent by the Pharisees, and then the next day as uh, Jesus makes this declaration. Both, as we're told in verse 28, happen in Bethany, a small village to the east of Israel across the Jordan River. If you're familiar with the geography of Israel, the Jordan River kind of runs north and south. It empties into the Dead Sea, and this little village is there at the north of the Dead Sea, really on the edge of the Judean wilderness that occupies much of that land between like the Dead Sea all the way over to Jerusalem. If you have a study Bible, you can look in the back in your maps and likely find it there. But like I said in the first scene, the priests and Levites come to him to question him, and in the second one, Jesus comes uh, 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 towards John and makes this announcement about who he is, and threaded through both of these scenes that tie them together is this emphasis of John's testimony or his witness. It's really been said actually like six times up to this point in the times we see him in the previous verses that we looked at in weeks past there in six through eight in chapter or verse 15. And then now in this six times, John is bearing witness. He is giving this testimony and so if we see something repeated that many times in such a short amount of space, do you think there is something that God wants us to recognize? Yes. Like a parent emphasizing some instructions over and over so that their children get it, so too in our Bibles when something is repeated over and over in a short amount of space, God wants us to see something. 
And this is what he wants us to recognize very simply. Write this down. It's the truth from the text. God sent John to announce the coming of Jesus. The coming or the arrival. God sent this man, John, to announce the coming of Jesus. And as we get closer into the two scenes, we'll, we'll, we'll see what he uh, announces about Jesus and how he announces it. Really, these things become clear and it forces us to reckon with who Jesus really is. And likewise, what are we going to do about that? And furthermore, then, if we believe it, how then will we bear witness or tell the story with our life about who Jesus is and what he has done for us? For he sent John to announce these things. But look here, here's the first point from the first scene in 19 to 28. We'll learn this, that when John announced that Jesus is the Christ, he did so humbly. God sent John to announce something. He announces here in this first uh, scene that Jesus is the Christ. That's the who. And how did he do it? He does so humbly. Now, uh, you can picture the scene here, uh, hopefully, in your eyes. If you want to uh, like further study or read up on it, I would encourage you to go read Matthew 3 uh, later today or later this week and ch uh, Luke chapters 1, 2, and 3. And it will give more of the context to what is happening here. John leaves a lot of it out, John the writer, that is, about John the Baptist, because he's making a point for us. But picture the scene. It's John in his camel hair clothes, right? He's a super trendy dude in those days. And he was eating his locusts and honey. He was like the OG crunchy eater uh, 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 of us all. And he's down by the Jordan River there, and he's telling people to repent of their sin. He's telling people to humble themselves before the Lord, for the king is coming. And as a sign of doing this, he is dunking them in the river. And his ministry, what he is preaching and what he is doing is getting the folks riled up. So that the priests and Levites are sent by the Jews, by the Pharisees, to go check this out. These rumors are coming, things are happening. And so, as we discover in verse 19, these, the Jews, the Pharisees, send the priests and the Levites. They're the religious professionals of the day, those charged with keeping the Levitical rules. Priests, they're uh, uh, leading the charge in the temple or tabernacle and the sacrificial system and all that would happen there. And the Levites are those that you will read about, the other duties there in Exodus and Leviticus and numbers of taking care of like the instruments and the things that would happen in the, in the tabernacle. And so they're sent to go check this out. And these verses really read like an interrogation, don't they? Just like a barrage of questions that we, we, we get here. If we were to boil it down, they're like, well, who are you? And John's like, I'm nobody, but Jesus is everything. He's the Christ. And they're like, well, why are you baptizing then? He's like, well, Jesus is the one that this is really all about. And so just look at the questions. There's, there's six of them here. He, he first asks in, in, in verse 19, look, they're like, well, who are you? And, and note this, this isn't like a nice introduction, like, hey, that you might do after service today, like saying, hey, uh, I'm Blair, who are you? What's your name? What do you, what do, you do? No, that's not the, that's not the essence of the question here. This is an accusation. So it would be more like, who do you think you are, right? Like, who, who, who are you? And he answers in the negative. He, it's almost like he's baiting them here because he doesn't really answer the question. He just says, I'm not the Christ. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so they ask him again in, in verse 21 they ask him a second question what then are you elijah he's like nope not him either right and so why why do they ask this like what was this out of the blue 
Are they asking about Elijah? Well, it's not just totally out of the blue. There are some similarities just in how they dress and what they eat. If you read about Elijah's life uh, there in 2 Kings, but there's this messianic hope for the return of Elijah. For the last words in in the Old Testament through the prophet Malachi uh, speak of this future hope of of the return of an Elijah-like prophet. And so look here, just this is how the Old Testament, the last thing written in in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It says, Behold, I can put it up here on the screen here, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so the Jewish people, like these are the last words written in the Old Testament. Like, uh, uh, Think about like the last few verses in Revelation for us and the hope that we have for the return of Christ. This is what was at the end of their Hebrew Bible. And so it's not out of the blue that they're just asking, like, hey, are you Elijah? But they're asking with the wrong sense uh, in, in a way, because they don't fully understand what that is all about. They were hopeful for deliverance from the uh, military occupation of the Romans. And what's interesting is uh, later after this, after John is actually dead in Matthew 17, uh, Jesus will uh, affirm that John was Elijah-like. Not that he was Elijah himself or like Elijah reincarnate come back, but, but that he, would, he was the one that came to announce that Jesus was there. And so whether John in, this, in the answering in the negative, whether he's you know, just being literal, like, no, I'm not Elijah, I'm John. Like, you didn't ask him Elijah-like or he's, maybe he doesn't fully even recognize uh, who he is you know, or his own place in salvific history and his announcement. It's hard to say. Regardless, they're asking, he says, I'm not. So they ask another question, are you the prophet in verse 21? And note the, the, the definite article there, he's not, they're not just saying, hey, are you a prophet, but are you the prophet? And he says, just, nope, I'm not him either. For they had a, a further uh, hope from Deuteronomy 18, 15. This wasn't just out of the blue as well, but where Moses uh, uh, spoke of a prophet like himself that would come to deliver him. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him whom you shall listen. And so they had this expectation for a prophet coming that was like Moses. And John here answers, nope. And so it's like three strikes, you're out. Who are you? I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. Not the prophet. And so in verse 22, they ask two more questions. Well, who are you and what do you say about yourself? And how does he answer? In essence, he says, I'm just a voice. I'm just a messenger. I'm the one calling attention to the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one whom you are awaiting. He, he goes back to quote from Isaiah 40. Lots of Old Testament scriptures all wrapped up in this interaction here. Turn over there to Isaiah 40 for just a second because I want you to see this. I read some of it uh, uh, earlier. I'm not going to read it all, but I do want to draw your attention to uh, Isaiah 40 verses 3 through 5 because this is what he's speaking of. Isaiah you'll find in your Old Testament just after Psalms. It's a big old book, 66 chapters. Glorious, beautiful. Maybe someday I'll preach through it. If I ever announce that I'm preaching through Isaiah, it's likely that like I'm old and my retirement is not far behind. Because it's a, it's a big book, rich, but I don't have the chops to preach it yet. 
Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now these verses here, this entire chapter was written as comfort to God's people while they were in captivity. While they were in captivity in Babylon and God gives them this great hope of their return, but of a future return of the king where the ground would be made low, where preparations would be made because the king was coming. Their uh, highway would need to be leveled out for the Lord. And what John the Baptist is saying here, he's saying, I am the voice like this. I am the one announcing that the king is come, that he has arrived. Make straight his paths for him. And in the same way, this chapter was meant to be a comfort to those Israelites in captivity in Babylon. So too now as the Israelites were in captivity or under Roman occupation, the king had come. And this is really, there's some incredible imagery here. As if, you, uh, if you've ever been in the Judean wilderness there in Israel, in, in that area around Jerusalem, it looks a lot like uh, the hill country, the Texas hill country of here. If you just drive a little bit uh, west of where we are here in New Braunfels, uh, you know, like the true hill country. Sometimes people call New Braunfels the hill country. It'll get a little farther west uh, of, of where we are. Uh, now where it is it is wilderness like it's it's a desert like it's arid there's hardly any rainfall there's hardly any topsoil the trees are hardly taller than myself unless there's some ancient live oaks that have been around forever you know since like probably uh, adam planted them or something back in the day not that old but that's like the only thing taller than uh, you and me and and it's dry and desert and the judean wilderness is is much like that all around uh, Jerusalem, it's hills and valleys, lots of limestones, very little topsoil, very short trees here. And as you would be sitting there, and now remember they're in Bethany as well, on the other end. And so what they can see, as far as they can see, is, is rugged wilderness, rugged desert-like land. And when you see desert there in the, in the Bible, don't think of like sandy Saharan desert. Think of like hill country desert, where like annual rainfall is in the single digits, okay? Very stony and rocky, not sandy and hot like that. And so what he's saying is make straight, like envision this. When, when the Lord returns, like all those hills will just be bulldozed where the valleys will be filled up and the mountaintops uh, chopped off where there will be a straight path for the return of the king. There's an invitation to come and uh, that he, uh, to, to behold this king to come and, and, and see to make straight the, the pathways in the same way that builders in the hill country are you know, uh, uh, making these neighborhoods and leveling it all out and making roads and saying, come, uh, make straight the, the pathways to the neighborhood so people can move in. The same way the announcement of the king is that he is coming. And yet as we come back to the text, that's what he's referring to. We can see how profound that is. And yet to the, to the, uh, the, the priests and the Levites, right over their head. Because they ask additional questions. Like look in verse 25, they ask him another. And they're like, all right, well then, why are you baptizing if you're, if you're a nobody? If you're not Christ, Elijah, or the prophet, we get it that you're a voice. But, uh, but, but, but who are you then? Why are you baptizing? 
it, you know, before we look at his answer, we have to understand some historical context about baptism as well and what he is doing here. It's not baptism in the necessarily in the way that we think about it and how common it is and talked about in the church scene here. It wasn't a, a, a regular religious practice in the Old Testament and there amongst the Jewish people, though there were some similarities to like the purification rituals and cleansings that they had as they would come into uh, the, the tabernacle there. But 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 it was more of a mercantile term, a practice that uh, that people would use with their cloth or their their clothing that they would dunk it or immerse it into the water. It's like women would take the dirty laundry, the dirty clothes into the into the river to uh, to immerse it, to baptize it, to wash the the filth and the grime and the sweat and the dirt of life out of it and make it uh, clean to wash it or a cloth seller would take just the raw woolen fabric made from, you know, the sheep's wool that was gray and maybe a, a little bit of tint of white in it, and they would take it to a vat that had been filled with a color of red, blue, whatever it might be, purple, and they would take it and they would immerse it. They would dunk it and bring it back out. That's how they commonly used this word. It was used in that setting, not necessarily in a religious setting. And so now you have this guy, John, who's down at the river telling people to repent of their sin and in dunking them in the water. And so now we can understand a little bit of like, well, why they're, they're asking about this. You're not this guy. Well, what are you doing then? And even his answer there is brief and unclear because he doesn't fully answer the question, but just redirects their attention humbly away from himself and back to the Lord. In essence, he's like, well, I'm, I'm nothing. I just baptized with water, but there's somebody worthy who is standing among us and you don't even know who he is. I, I'm, I'm not even worthy enough to do the lowest job, like untie his sandal strap, but he lets me be his voice. grasp this redemption in the questions here john's baptism was a baptism of repentance to prepare the way where he himself modeled humility and called the people to humility to pave the way for the coming of the king humble repentance always paves the way for change when changing your life you will need things to be different it is through humility it is through repentance that that happens it is and maybe that's what you need to do today as we begin 2023 at a, a time where we're, where we're seeking to make changes, to uh, uh, change the rhythms of our life or the habits of our life, and the first step in doing that is through surrender. Surrender to Christ. Surrender to Christ and be saved. Surrender to Christ and be changed. Surrender to His ways, to His will. Stop trying to earn it on your own or to achieve it on your own or to impress Him and get His attention through all your deeds. Do you want to be noticed by God? In Isaiah 66, He tells us, how do we get Him to look at us? How do we get His attention? It tells us very clearly, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, this is the one to whom I will look, the Lord says. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. It is through humility. This is the place where God sees us humble in the way we come to him, and the way that we talk about him, and the way we treat others. Humility is our testimony.
the, uh, as we come to Christ, the Savior, the one who humbled himself, then this becomes our way of life, our testimony, how we bear witness that we are his followers and how we speak and in what we speak. See, humility has many definitions, some that I'm sure you uh, have uh, found along the way and love. Here's just a simple definition. Listen, I'll say it multiple times. It's not on the screen if you want to write it down. Humility is this. It's the propensity to suspect yourself first in conflict and to exalt others in success. Humility is the propensity to suspect yourself first in conflict and exalt others in success. Say it again. Humility is the propensity to suspect yourself first in conflict and to exalt others in success. This is what we see in in John the Baptist's testimony. Even as he is here, as he is getting noticed, as, uh, as the religious authorities are coming to ask him these questions, he is diverting attention. He is exalting Christ in the process and humbling himself. And the same is true of us. As, uh, 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 this uh, mark of humility, it will make you stand out in this day and give you opportunity to bear witness about Christ. In your workplace, in your classroom, in your family, this trait of humility will make you stand out in a world that is all about self-exaltation. It may invite some interrogation where people will ask you these kind of questions. Who do you think you are? But it may also provoke some repentance. It may also provoke some godliness in others. And either way, just like John We just get to be a voice. It is Christ who is the word. He is the content. He is the source. He is the savior. He is the one to whom we or about whom we talk about with others. And we are just the voice telling anybody who will listen that we are just nobodies. But it is Christ who is everything. He is the one who is who has saved us. And this is what John has come to do. He's come to announce this, that this is the Christ. This is the one we are waiting for. We must humble ourselves. But the next day, something uh, else happens that is similar in nature in its announcement, but different in the circumstances. Because this is the second thing that John came to announce. Not only was Christ, or that Jesus was the Christ, but here's the thing. When John announced Jesus as the Lamb of God, he honored him as the Son of God. Write that down. It's in your notes there. It's point number two from the second scene here. And this time, John the Baptist, instead of answering questions of being interrogated, he makes a declaration, some massive declarations about who Christ is, that he is the Lamb of God and honors him as the Son of God. And so look here at verse 29. After you write that down, just look. The next day, he, that's John the Baptist, sees Jesus coming toward him and he says, Behold! anytime you see a behold in the bible church whenever you see it in there it's like a stop sign in the word of god like an intersection that you are coming to to stop and look both ways and to see what surrounds it it's to stop and consider to think deeply upon to meditate on what is about to be said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin 
And so John is calling their attention, he's calling our attention to this Lamb of God. And interestingly enough, it's only John in John's Gospels who uses this term in all of our Bible about Jesus. The, the, the idea of the Lamb of, of God was, was, to the Jews, very familiar. They were around sheep all the time. Many of them were shepherds. They ate uh, uh, sheep. They used their wool for their clothes. They uh, knew all about it. They knew the sights and sounds and all the things that go along with being shepherds. And for the atonement of their sin in their religious traditions there. And John makes this declaration that it is this man who will atone for the whole world. A startling announcement. Something to behold. And then he rightly uh, proceeds to exalt him. Saying this is the one. In other words, this is the one who I've been talking about. This is the one who I've told you about. He was before me. He was the word. He is the creator. Now notice what he's, what he's getting at here. Even though John was six months older than Jesus. If you go back and read, you'll see the timeline of all that. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Here, born six months earlier. But he's saying, he was, I, 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 he was actually before me. Referring to him being there in the beginning. He was the word. And it is John at this point who, who truly understands who Jesus is. And he's saying, I didn't know him then, but I do now. And that's why I baptize. Here's the answer to the question. Why I baptize with water to prepare the way and to make him known. And then in his answer here, it's really interesting because he, 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 he humbly uh, doesn't mention that he was the one who baptized Jesus. See that there? He says, I, I, I saw the Spirit descend on him. I myself did not know him. But when he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he, he, he's describing this scene without saying, I was actually the guy who did it. It's, it's super humble of him, right? He could take the credit from him. He's like, yeah, well, I, Jesus is really great, but guess what? I got the baptizing. How crazy would that be? No, he doesn't. He just, I was there at his baptism. That outward proclamation where Christ identified with us as sinners, though he himself had no sin. He did not need to be baptized for some like, you know, religious purpose or, you know, because Jesus was getting saved there. No, it was to identify with us as uh, 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 sinners and to symbolize or foreshadow the, his death, burial, and resurrection that would one day come. And it was there that the Holy Spirit bore witness to him also by descending on a dove and where the Father himself bore witness by audibly speaking, this is my son. And through it all, John is just honoring and exalting Jesus as the greater one. I'm just here uh, baptizing you. I'm just here doing this with water. But it is Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who enacts true change, right? What he's meaning by this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that Jesus who immerses or transforms truly changes with the Holy Spirit. A thing that happens when we are saved as the Spirit is given to us, which we'll learn later about. But it is Christ who comes and does that. And I know there's you know, some, some like wonky ideas about the baptism of the Holy Spirit out there, right? Some view it as this like extra element, the second blessing to be prayed for. That's like in addition to our salvation, where it's like you're being, uh, you know, possessed by uh, something else. And really, that's just unsupported by scripture. It is a gift that is given at the moment when we are saved is where true change truly happens. And so the point in all of this is we're kind of like, you know, put part the, the weeds a little bit and get to the bottom of it. The point that, that John is making here, what he is announcing is that the Lamb of God is the Son of God. 
He is the chosen one, the one who will take away sins and the one who rules and reigns, who is God himself. And what is happening here is all of these Old Testament hopes and promises are colliding together in this one person, Jesus. And John is bearing witness and throughout all the, if we even go back to, to verse one, all that we've seen in this entire chapter is that Jesus is the creator. He is the word who is the Christ, who is the lamb of God, who is the son of God. And John was the messenger to say, it is him who we are looking for. It is all of these Old Testament things wrapped up in this man. That's his testimony. That's his witness, what he came to talk about, what he came to point to. His singular purpose in his entire life is right here. The Lamb of God who takes away sin is also the Son of God who rules and reigns over it all. He's made these claims, and the question is, do we believe it? A voice has cried in the wilderness the wilderness of our days, the wilderness of whatever your life may be now. And even still, Christ is the Lamb of God who's taken away your sins. He's taken care of all that problem. He is the Son of God who rules and reigns over your life. Savior and Lord, Christ, Lamb, Son, Word, Creator. This is what John came to bear witness about. He did so very humbly. He did in a way that honored Christ that pointed everything in his life back to the greater one. And so the question is, okay, I do believe this, but then in what manner does my life bear witness about Christ? What would others say? What would my unbelieving neighbors, the witness of my life, what I am saying about Christ and how my life looks? Is it full of arrogance, envy, self-exaltation, or humility, and honor of another. See, this is what we could boil all down. John's testimony, what his life is all about. Really two things. Believe in the one. Believe in the one he is announcing and bear witness like him with all humility and honor of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. And so as the new year begins, maybe you are weary Others around you may be weary. Maybe you have a renewed resolve to make some change. But the opportunity for us to be messengers of hope, a voice crying in the wilderness, a voice crying out when those are weary or heavy laden who are thirsty and in need of refreshment, we get to announce that the source has come, the Savior has come, the Christ has come, the Lamb has come come to take away the sins of the world we ourselves are not the source of hope we, we we are just the voice of hope a hope made possible because of the sacrifice of the lamb who was the son of god would you pray with me and ask god's help as we seek to live in his ways god in heaven it's passages like these that make us that make us really reckon with who you are and also how we are living our life. Lord, we want to be people who not only are right in our theology, 
believing the right things about you, but also are right in our living. We're right in how we are, are bearing witness to who you are and how we live our lives. So even today, as we behold you, Jesus, would you work just greater humility in us? Would you uh, provoke greater honor in us as we seek to honor you today? God, we turn our attention to the cross where you, the Lamb of God, died in our place. Help us to behold you now. We pray in Christ's name.